You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. The sign of a good teacher is that when they are teaching you, you feel less like you're getting lectured and more like it is a friend talking with you or a mentor who is developing you. When I was in seminary, I had a a professor that was that way for me. His name was Kevin Carson. And every class that I could take with Kevin, I, I took with him because it was like he wasn't lecturing us like other teachers felt like. It was like he was a friend sitting down at a coffee shop with you just talking about how to counsel people from the book of James or how to counsel people from the book of Ephesians. It was just, it was, it was more of a, of a conversation. It was more of a, a mentor developing. He's been such a, a influence in my life that even 20 years later after being out of seminary, I feel like I could text or give Kevin a call and say, hey man, I'm trying to work through this. We have time to talk and he could lecture me but it would still feel like he's just mentoring me or developing me. When we come to Jesus' farewell discourse in John 13 through 16, we come to a moment not where Jesus is lecturing his disciples, but at a moment where Jesus is sitting at a table talking and as if to a friend. He's mentoring these men in his life. I think oftentimes when we read scripture, especially the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we picture Jesus always on a stage with a plat with a podium in front of him with his Bible opened, right? Lecturing people with that long finger kind of idea. When in reality, most of Jesus' encounters, most of the words that we find of Jesus, it is Jesus sitting down with groups of people. It is Jesus as in this moment, sitting with his disciples at a, at a table that would, may have been that high off of the ground. They're having a final meal together before in 24 hours, Jesus will be hanging on the cross. And so he's just having this conversation as with a friend or as he's mentoring these guys who are hearing Jesus say repeatedly, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm, I'm leaving. And they're sitting there thinking, how is our life going to be after Jesus is gone. And it's like a friend that is talking to them, like a mentor who's developing them. And I think it's really important for us to understand that, especially when we come to the words of scripture that we're gonna come to today. Because if we see it as Jesus pointing his long finger at them and saying, if you love me, keep my commandments, it changes how we read the text. But if we see Jesus sitting down with his closest followers, his closest friends, and this is the heart of a, of a teacher that loves his students, 
It's a heart of a friend that loves those that are in his life and he wants them to know how life is gonna work after he's gone. These words take on a whole new context in our lives. So I want you to stand with me and open your Bibles to John chapter 14. I'm gonna read out loud and I'd like you to follow along in your Bible or on the screens. John chapter 14, verses 15 through verse 26. Jesus says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and, I, and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not the Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things have I spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Father, I pray as we now go to your word and we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Give us hearts today that will respond with good fruit. So I pray that we would not be a church that hears the word as the word is cast onto our hearts today and we go for it for a couple of days and then when hard times come, we'd fall off. But I pray that we would be the type of church that when the word is cast on our hearts, that it would produce fruit weeks, months, years from now. So make that so today based off your word in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So when we come to John 14 and verse 15, Jesus gives us one of the themes that he is going for in this section. It is this in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus is telling his disciples that loving him means obeying his word. Jesus is talking about this relationship that he has with his disciples. And what you're gonna find that as he's talking about this idea of loving me means keeping my commands, that he's gonna use this term, love and keep only. So he starts the conversation with, if you love me, you're gonna keep my commandments. If, if, you, if you say that you love me, you're gonna do what I tell you to do because loving me means 
obeying my word. Love is the motivating factor for our relationship with each other. Because if you love me, you're going to do what I tell you to do. He, he goes on and talks about it some more. He comes back to it in verse 21, where he says this, whoever has my commandments, and, and here's this word again, keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So again, Jesus is saying to them, repeating this, that your love for me should be the motivation for why you do what I tell you to do. And if your love is the motivation for your obedience, then you're going to experience the love of my father and I'm gonna manifest myself to you. I'm gonna show myself to you and we're gonna find out in a minute how God's gonna do that. But he's, he's tying this idea of love being the motivating factor for the disciples' obedience. So as they're thinking about, as they're sitting at this table and they're thinking about how do we move forward without Jesus here? When he's not looking over our shoulder to make sure we're doing the right things, how, how, what's the motivation for us to obey him? And Jesus is saying, the motivation is, you love me, you're gonna keep my commandments. Thomas replies, or sorry, Judas replies to him, not the Iscariot, and says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. So how are we gonna know your love but the world isn't? And Jesus answers in verse 23, if anyone, that's a key term there, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him, he's already said this, and will come to him and make our home with him. So now Jesus is saying, listen, it's, it's not just about you guys that I'm gonna talk to here. I'm gonna say that if anyone loves me, and does what I tell them to do, then I'm going to come and make my home with them. I will show myself to them. Again, love, this relationship, right? This is why it's so important that we don't see this as a lecture per se, but as a teacher coming alongside and saying, if anyone loves me, not just the guys sitting in the room, but if anyone loves me and keeps my commands, then I'm gonna come make my home with them. It's interesting that Jesus would choose to use this word home because he's already used it one time before in this farewell discourse. If you go back to John chapter 14 and verse one, and Pastor Bob walked us through this a few weeks ago, it says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's room, house are many rooms if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. What's interesting is when Jesus uses this term home here, it's the same term that he used in verse two when he says, in my father's house are many rooms. So he's tying these two things together for us. He's saying, just like I was mentioning earlier, to not let your hearts be troubled because I'm going to prepare a room, a house for you. He's tying this idea of loving Jesus and keeping his commands. Uh, we will make our home with you. If God is not at home in us now, he will not be at home in us later. 
He, he's saying, if you love me, if you have a relationship with me and you keep my words, then we'll come and live inside of you. We'll make our home with you. So the question would be for us today is, do you have a relationship with God through Jesus? Could it be said of you that because of your love for Jesus that he is at home in your heart? That he is preparing not only at home in your heart, but verse two, he is preparing a place for you in heaven as well. All of that starts with a relationship with God. This is how John puts it in 1 John chapter four in verse Nine, he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. So because of our sins, we are separated from a relationship with God. As much as we want to try to love God, we can't love God on our own. We can only do that through Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins and loving God perfectly so that when we put our faith and trust in him, then we could love Jesus and then we could keep his commands because Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live. And so through the person of Jesus Christ you can have a relationship with God. You can love Jesus and keep his commands. But it begins with transferring your trust. It begins with saying, I can't do this life on my own. Jesus, I need you. I want my heart to love you. And then Jesus comes and takes residence in our heart and then we have new desires and new love and then like the disciples we hear these words if you love me you'll keep my commandments and it makes sense why because our love for Jesus motivates then our obedience to him but Jesus makes the contrast for us in verse 24 he says whoever does not love me does not keep my words so if you want to know if somebody loves Jesus look at their actions are they being obedient to the words of Jesus? And then Jesus says, the word that you hear is not my own word, but it's the father's who sent me. He's saying, I'm not speaking here in my own authority. I'm speaking in the authority of my father who has sent me to you. If you love Jesus, you're gonna keep his commandments. Jesus reiterates this in his own life. In John 14 and verse 31, Jesus says, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So how did we know that Jesus loved his Father? Because he did what he said his Father told him to do. His Father said, I want you to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And he went to the cross. He was obedient to his Father, that's how Jesus says, you know that I loved my father. John continues this idea of loving Jesus means being obedient to him. In 1 John chapter two and verse three, he says, and by this we know that we have come to know him, that's Jesus, if we keep his commandments. How do we know that we know Jesus? Our life reflects it. 
There's obedience to his commands. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments aren't something that weigh us down. They're actually something that we don't have to do. They're something that we get to do. And why is that the case? Because our love for Jesus motivates our obedience to God. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commandments. Love is the motivator for our obedience to God. You see, if you love something, you'll follow the rules. If you love your job, you'll do what your policies and procedures are at your work, right? If, you're, if you love your job and they say you need to be there at eight o'clock or you need to check in online at eight o'clock, you do that. Why? Because you love your work, right? It, it's not a, I have to do that. It's I, I get to do that. Why? Because love motivates your work. When you watch guys and gals play sports, and you watch them follow the rules of the sport. Why do they do that? Because they love what they do. I don't know if you know this, but KU won their 20th uh, Big 12 championship on Saturday, yesterday. So it was, a, it was a good day if you're a Jayhawk fan. But as I watched that game, I watched a group of young men that love the game of basketball. And how do I know that they love the game of basketball? Because they followed the rules. Right? When the ball was passed in, they didn't take the ball and run down the court with it. Because one of the rules is you can only take two steps with the ball and then you have to dribble. And so I watched a group of guys that followed the rules. There was lines drawn out on the court. I didn't see the guys running outside of those lines. They did their best to stay within their lines. Why? Because love motivated their obedience. And love is what should motivate our obedience to Jesus. The reason we don't obey Jesus is we don't love Jesus. And in the church, we have a danger of getting obedience and love mixed up. We call this legalism. We put obedience before love. And we say, you wear this, you listen to this, you do these certain things, that really is what shows your love for Jesus. And we say, you start with obedience rather than saying, let's start with love as Jesus does and says, if you love me, the natural outworking is you're gonna do what I tell you to do. See, love, obedience is not a prerequisite for salvation. Obedience is a sign of our love for Jesus. Obedience is a sign of our salvation. It just works itself out of our lives. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, guys, when I'm gone, when I'm not looking over your shoulder, you're gonna do what I told you to do because love should motivate your obedience. I think where we see this in our lives, where it often comes out is how we pray for people. So when we see people that 
aren't following the Lord, but they claim to love the Lord, but they're not following the Lord, how do we often pray for them? We would pray, Lord, help them to come back to church. Help them to stop being in that unhealthy relationship. Help them to, and it's all like action, obedience things. And if we're praying those, I'm not saying don't pray those. But if I understand the words of Jesus and love motivates their obedience, maybe a better way for us to pray for those in our life and even our own heart is, Lord, would you grow their desire and love for you? Because if they love Jesus, they'll do the things that Jesus says to do. If they love Jesus, they're going to be in right relationships with others. If they love Jesus, they're not going to forsake the assembling of themselves together. If they love Jesus, they're going to be kind to those who aren't kind to them. And so we have to be careful to not pray legalistic prayers in the idea of, Lord, help them to do, do, do these things, right? Rather than saying, Lord, help them to be captured by your love for them so that as you capture their heart, they love you. And then in return, they're obedient to you because the Lord is more about your heart because he knows if he has your heart, he'll have your obedience. This is why David said in Psalms, the Lord doesn't desire sacrifice. He doesn't desire your burnt offerings. He desires a broken and a contrite heart because he knows if he has your heart, he has your life. If we love Jesus, we'll keep his commands. We'll follow his words. So believer in the room who say you love Jesus, is that true of your life? Does love motivate your obedience? Or have you fallen into legalism where it's just checking boxes and I'm doing all these things, but it's not out of love. It's out of the fact that I have to do them. They're burdensome to me, but I do them so that when I die, I could stand before him and say, I did what you told me to do, right? As opposed to, man, I'm so captured by the love of God that I love Jesus and I just wanna do what he tells me to do. Even if it costs me, every single one of these guys that were sitting at the table, it was going to cost them to love Jesus and keep his commands. It was literally going to cost them their lives. But they found Jesus to be worthy of that. But I think if we're honest with each other today in this room, I think we all struggle with loving God like we should. Like when we hear that, if you love me, you keep my commandments. We look at our lives over the past week and think, man, there was moments I didn't love God like I should. Even in my own life yesterday, there was a moment I didn't love God like I should by the words that came out of my mouth towards my wife. And it just grieved my heart that, that I would do that, right? But it was a moment where I didn't love her well 
And I allowed my heart and my words to, to reflect that. And so even in my own life, it's here I am trying to prepare this message last, well, I was preparing it all week, but was trying to wrap my mind around it last night. I'm sitting here reading this and thinking, I've failed at loving God. I, even today, I have let my wife and my family down by my words. I have failed to love the Lord. I, I think we all could say we need help. That we, we can't do this on our own. Do you have areas of your life where you sort of know how to do something, but you're really not 100% sure how to do something? I, I, in seminary, speaking of seminary, I, how I got through seminary was I worked construction. And I know you look at me and think, that guy did definitely work construction. I can see it, right? Um, <laughs> So just so you know, to me, work construction was the guy, Johnny Jepson, told me what to do and I did whatever he told me to do, right? So he was like, if you're, here's where you need to cut it. I was not figuring anything out. I was picking up the scraps. I was doing all that stuff for him, running errands, all those things. But in my time of being in construction, I sort of learned some things as well. So when I get, get our own home now, there's things that it's like, I think I know how to do that but I'm not 100% sure. So what's the first thing when you don't know how to, you're gonna try to work on your deck or fix a hole in the wall. You Google YouTube, how do you fix a hole in your wall, right? And you watch several YouTubes and then after you feel more discouraged because it's like, there's, that will never happen in my life. There's a friend that I call named Darcy and I say, okay, Darcy, here's what's going on. And here's the deal. I don't want you to do it for me, but I would like for you to come and watch me, <laughs> AK, watch me, watch me do this thing. Because why? Because he knows what he's doing, right? And so if he can come and be there with me, then he can sort of say, hey, that cut probably ain't gonna work for that little hole right there, right? Or you need to add some more water or you need to make sure to, to do it in this way. I, I need Help, And when it comes to loving Jesus and obeying his commands, we need help. And help was on the way. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, I'm sending help, guys. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So as the disciples hear Jesus say, if you love me, you're gonna keep my commands and they feel the weight of that. They feel like he's not gonna be around. Like, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna love him with our heart, allow that to motivate our obedience to him? How are we gonna do this? And Jesus answers in verse 16 and he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This word helper in scripture is a great word. It is only used five times in all of scripture. So it really is a hard word to translate because it's only used five times and it is only used in John's literature. So if you see a, a, a book of the Bible that has John's name in it, all right, he only uses it in those books. Four of the times are right here in the farewell discourse, he uses the word helper. And one time he uses it in 1 John. And so the idea of helper is this, and some of your translations, if you're using different ones, it may be like a counselor, 
an advocate, uh, a mediator, an intercessor. So we really struggle with a word to add. So the ESV translation, they chose to use helper. They thought that was the best word to describe this. Parakletos is the word in Greek. They thought this was the best word that could do it. The idea is because it means to a person is summoned to one's aid. It's somebody who comes and aids you in your journey. And so helper is a pretty good word for that, right? Counselor, advocate. But this is the idea that the spirit is going to represent God to the believers as Jesus did in his incarnate state. That as he was with the followers and they could see him, so the Holy Spirit, so this helper, which we find in verse 26, is the Holy Spirit, is going to come to their aid. How are we going to love Jesus and keep his commands? I've got help on the way, and it's the Holy Spirit. The cool thing is that Jesus uses not just, he doesn't just say, and he will give you a helper to be with you forever. Jesus says, and this is a really important word, he will give you another helper. Now, when in the Bible, when they use the term another, there was two types of another words that you could use. One was another of a different kind and one was another of the same kind. So at some points in scripture, it says that there was another Jesus. The idea was there was another Jesus of a different kind, not the same Jesus that you knew. But there's also this idea of another of a same kind. Here's a way to think about it. If I ask my family to get me a chicken sandwich on the way home from church today, And I I say, let's do chicken sandwiches for lunch. They pick up a chicken sandwich and they get me a chicken sandwich from McDonald's. And we go home and we eat the 99 cent chicken sandwich from McDonald's. And then I say to my family, I want another chicken sandwich. I'm not saying I want another McDonald's chicken sandwich that's not really chicken. I want another chicken sandwich that is a real chicken sandwich, like a Chick-fil-A that's not open on Sunday, right? Like, I want another chicken. It's another of a different kind. But when we go to Kansas City Joe's and I order a Z-Man, And we sit down and we eat a Z-man together. And I say to my family, I want another Z-man. I'm not saying another of a different kind, right? I am, can I get a witness in the room today, right? I am saying another of the exact same kind. And so when Jesus says, I'll ask the father and he'll give you another helper, here's the really cool thing that he's doing. He's saying it's another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is not something totally different than Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. That's why he's saying earlier that greater works are going to come. That's why he's saying it's better that I go away. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the application of Jesus's ministry. He is God. The Holy Spirit is not this it that is sort of out there and you got to work yourself up and you got to get in these moments and your hands have to be raised and you have to run around and you have to do weird things to try to get the Spirit to come dwell in you. No, 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 no. That's not how the Spirit works. 
The Spirit is just like as if Jesus was with us as we go through our lives. He's another of the same kind. So we say in our statement of faith that we believe the Holy Spirit is a divine person possessing all the attributes of deity and is equal with God the Father and God the Son. He is part of the Trinity. And he comes as our helper, as our aid. The Holy Spirit does not have a separate agenda to Jesus. He is a continuation and the application of Jesus' ministry. Why? Because in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 1, it says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Guess what that word advocate is? Parakletos. It's the one time that it's used. So he says, we have an advocate or a helper with the Father. Who's that helper? Jesus Christ, the righteous. So Jesus Christ is a helper and we see the helper's application to our lives through the Holy Spirit. And then I love that Jesus says, not only is another of the same kind of helper, just like me coming, but he will be with you forever. Once you have the Holy Spirit, you have him forever. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and go in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. His control of our lives may be different at different moments, but the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go in our lives. Listen to how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter one and verse 13. In Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed. How are we sealed in our salvation? With the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So once we have the Holy Spirit, it is the guarantee of our home to come. We have a helper and an aide who is with us forever. He doesn't come and go. He's a helper who is always there with us. In verse 17, Jesus goes on and says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Again, Jesus is using his words very strategically here. When he says, even the spirit of truth, haven't we already heard him use this term truth earlier in John 14? How did Jesus refer to himself? I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. And so again, what Jesus is doing is connecting the Spirit's work in our lives, Spirit of truth, with Jesus' work. That as we would look to Jesus and say, he is the truth, so the Spirit confirms that truth in our lives. And the world cannot see him because the reality is this, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't know Christ. Because when you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. He is in you. He takes residence in your life. So if you don't have the Spirit, Jesus is saying, you don't have me. Verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. 
because you're gonna see the resurrection and you're gonna see my ascension into heaven. You're gonna know that this all is real, right? That, that I am sending the spirit to you. Verse 20, in that day, what day? The day of Jesus' ascension, his glorification. You will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I am in you. Because John 7 and verse 39, it says that the Holy Spirit would not come till the glorification of Jesus. And so when they see Jesus ascending into heaven, they know at that moment that the Holy Spirit has come upon them, that everything Jesus said is true. Verse 25, these things have I spoken to you, Jesus says, while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What's interesting about these, this verse, verse 26, is there's really two applications. There's a primary application and a secondary application. The primary application is that as Jesus is talking to these men that are sitting around the table, and he says the, that he will teach you the Holy Spirit all things and bring to remembrance all things that I've said to you. He's talking about the word of God, specifically the New Testament. He's telling these men who are going to write God's word that the Holy Spirit is gonna lead you to remember these conversations that we're having. So while we're sitting around the table tonight having this final meal together and we're gonna go through a lot of trauma over the next few days, I'm gonna bring to remembrance the things that we talked about here. This is how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21. He says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So these men that are sitting in the room and Jesus says, you're gonna remember the ideas as they're writing the scriptures that they're being carried along like a boat is carried along by the wind. They're being carried along by the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of scripture. So they were inspired by, by the Holy Spirit to write the words of God. That's the primary application is these men will write the words of scripture. But the secondary application for us then today is a gratefulness for the word of God, right? That we have the complete revelation of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit right here in the words of God. There will be no more special revelation. We have the words of God today in scripture. And Jesus allowed these men to be carried along by the Holy Spirit and he allowed them to write the words for us. And so we are grateful for that. We're grateful that we have the words of God so that when we, Jesus says, if you love me, you're gonna keep my words. We got the words, right? We're grateful for that and we live in submission to those words. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit doesn't come and give us special revelation. Now the Holy Spirit comes and he illuminates the word of God for us. This is why somebody can be a follower of Jesus for 30 years and you'll talk to them and they're like, I was reading in the book of Psalms and it was like the, per the, the words jumped off the page. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit illuminating the word of God. 
So we can never say like, man, I, I got a revelation from the Lord if it doesn't come from the word of God. Because these men were carried along and now we are just illuminated by the word of God. That's why at Antioch, we're all about the word of God. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what Clint thinks. It doesn't matter what Todd or Bob or Marcus thinks. What matters is what does the Bible say? Because that's our final authority in our life. And the Holy Spirit illuminates the word in our lives. So Jesus says, I'll send you someone to aid you in your journey. As you think about what it means to love me and to keep my commands, I want you to know I'm not sending you out alone, guys, on this journey. I'm sending an aid to come and help you on the journey. In 1992, in the Barcelona Olympics, a man by the name of Derek Redmond was looking to be one of the contenders in the men's 400 race. He posted, as in his first heat, he posted the fastest time of all the men that were running in the Olympics that year. He went on to win his quarterfinal race and he prepared to run his semifinal race. And he was pretty much a shoe-in to be in the finals, to be running for gold. But as Derek was running his semifinal race, he was coming around 400 meters one time around the track. He's coming around that first corner. And he said, as he was coming around and he was on the back stretch, he all of a sudden felt like somebody had shot him in the back of the leg. And you watch the scene unfold. He grabs his leg and he, he falls to the ground. And he's holding his leg there in agony. And he's like, after I got my mind together that I wasn't shot, he goes, I realized that I'd popped my hamstring and that his race was over. And he laid there on the ground in anguish and you could see it on his face. And all of a sudden from beside the, the track, the medical teams are coming out to help him. And when they get to them, he, him, he pushes them away and he gets up. And in Derek's mind, he was like, you know, you're only in the Olympics once. And he knew earlier in 1998, he'd had an Achilles blowout. So I, he sort of knew this, this was it for him. So he gets up and on one leg for 250 meters, he hops along with the goal just to finish the race. He knew he was disqualified, but he, he wanted to finish the race. And so you watch Derek get up and you see the anguish on his face. And on one leg, he's hopping along, holding his hamstring, just trying to finish the race. Well, as he comes around and he's heading for the finish line, he's about 100 meters out. In the back of the, the camera, you see this man start pushing through security. And all of a sudden, there's this man that runs on the track and he runs right next to Derek and he puts his arm around Derek. And Derek puts his arm around him and you can sort of see a moment he's trying to stop him and say, hey, you don't gotta finish the race, but Derek says, dad, I wanna finish the race. Get me in lane five and let's finish the race. And for the next 100 meters, you watch Derek and his dad finish the race. They said, 
as they were getting close to the finish line, 65,000 people stood up and began to clap. Listen, in the race of life, you don't got to run it alone. You have a helper. Listen, I, I get it, man. When I hear the words, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments, all the things I can think about is all the times I failed this week. All the times I wasn't kind. All the times I had those thoughts that a pastor shouldn't have. All the times I struggled this week with depression or anxiety or fear. I understand. But thanks be to God, we have a helper. And he's come to our aid. You don't have to run this life alone. You don't have to struggle alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. It's as if the presence of God right? It's as if you could reach your arm out and put your arm around Jesus and say, you got to get me farther along in this journey because on my own, I, I can't make it. And Jesus says, I got you. I'll send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to aid you in your journey. He's going to be your helper. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to be your counselor. He's going to be the convictor of your sin. He's going to be all those things for you. So don't ignore him. Don't act like he's not there. How silly of it would have been for Derek to be like, Dad, just a second. When he had help available to finish the race. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to aid us in our journey. In those moments when we're in the low valleys and it's the dark nights of our soul, let's cry out to the Lord and say, God, help me through the Holy Spirit to know your word and to be comforted by your word. Holy Spirit, come in and heal those areas of my heart that, that I, they're, they're just places of bitterness for me. Come heal those. Come, come take over my heart in those areas where I want control. I, I, come take control, Holy Spirit, of those areas of my life so that I can love Jesus and I can live in a way that reflects that love for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I thank you that as the disciples are sitting in that room with you and you as a good teacher, not lecturing them, but you're talking to them as a friend, talking to them as a, as a mentor, that as they hear your words, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And they must have thought, I, I mean, you, we know Peter, like he was gonna deny Jesus in just a few hours we know that these men would fail at loving you and keeping your commandments, but you were so gracious to say, but I'm gonna send you somebody who's gonna help you. And so today we are eternally grateful for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming to our aid. And as we seek to love you and in response to our love for you, obey Jesus's words, help us, comfort us, counsel us, 
Convict us of our sins. Help us in our journey. Because it is such a comfort, Lord, to know that in this journey called the Christian life, we've never, ever been alone. There's never a moment on the track that we have been by ourselves. You've always been with us. And I pray to now, as we stand and as we sing this song, Never Once, that you would remind us of that. That as we look back on our race and we see the times that we felt like you weren't there, that you were there. As we look at the moment today of our lives and maybe we feel the same way, like I just don't know that God is with me or for me, like that you would be remind us, that you would remind us today that you are with us. And as we go to this week and months ahead and the trials come and the persecution comes and the the low moments in our life come, help us never to forget that you have always been faithful to us. You've always been there for us through the person of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.